You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live on KUCI.org. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, or the California Board of Regents. Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to a new edition of Ask a Leader. In the age of COVID, our focus will be hyper-local to serve our immediate community, since the show now becomes, for the indefinite period, Ask a Neighbor. Today, we'll start with Reverend Dr. Terry LePage. I ask that listeners please help me, help all of us, by sending your concerns that you would like covered. You could even offer yourselves as guests, okay? My email is c-s-h-a-m-b-a-u-g-h at k-u-c-i dot org. And now to my guest. Returning to the program, and for the full hour, is my guest, Reverend Dr. Terry LePage. She is an ordained minister, most recently having served as transitional pastor at Brea Congressional United Church of Christ in Orange County. Terry has served six churches in transitional ministry, helping them to prepare for successful ministry with their next pastor. Her first career was as a chemist. She later learned Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication as a tool to deal with church conflict. She's taught compassionate communication, peaceful parenting, and she is rolling out grief, gratitude, and courage workshops to address the losses we face from COVID-19, which we'll talk about on this program. She completed her bachelor's degree in chemistry at UC Davis, her PhD in chemistry at Columbia University, and her master's of divinity at Claremont School of Theology. Just as in her last appearance on this show, Terry is here to deliver grounded commentary about different ways in which various Protestant Christians are engaged in civil life along with trends within particular belief systems. Welcome to this first edition of Ask a Neighbor, Terry LePage. Hello. Thank you. First, Terry, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm going through a lot of emotions, but I'm really grateful to have family with me and extended family safe and uh, good work to do. Indeed. Well, let's start talking about what are some of the, the difficulties and the resourcefulness people are carrying out in their rituals and of life in general. And we'll, we'll get to the wakes and the services kinds of things uh, a little bit later in this discussion. Well, it's an interesting question. I think um, all of us have been kicked out of our routines, right? And um, people are struggling to put something together. Our um, worship service of my home church, Irvine United Congregational Church, has been on YouTube for the last few weeks, and they're getting the hang of it. We had our first... uh, Uh, full production uh, Zoom coffee hour, and that is actually a very important ritual, in my opinion, in the Protestant church. Great form of connection. And, uh, man, I miss the food. But but we connected. 
we connected and that's important. Um, I think people who have a personal ritual and routine are doing okay with that. I think people who counted on groups, some of them are um, going virtual and some of them are not able to do that. And at our church, we're going to be doing some systematic phoning and helping people get online who aren't able to get online. So, Terry, this begs the question, I guess, too, a part of those services, it's the music. How, how's that getting uh, incorporated into this ritual? Well, I, I can play my computer through my stereo speakers, so the music sounded great. I happened to have a hymnal, so it was very easy for me to sing along. They printed up the words, too. So, so you know, we make that. do. Yeah, we miss the choir. Choirs are deadly, as we found out in that LA Times article. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, it hit all the press that, that um, yeah, they were like maybe one or two days just beyond where that really, the, but I happen to know that other choral organizations in that area, they knew not to meet. But apparently this Skagit Valley, they just decided, eh, we'll, we'll just try to practice good uh, practices there. So, but the, the, the music, that is something, it's almost palpable for a live performance. So I guess that's, that's one of those sad losses in not congregating. Yeah, and so it's interesting, Claudia, that this whole thing came down in the Christian season of Lent, yes. of which never really meant much to me. You know, I was supposed to give up candy or something when I was a kid. But um, I, I have studied Christian history, and you know, we live in such a privileged time. Uh, the spiritual discipline of giving things up voluntarily so that you can practice detachment so that you will be less flustered when you have to give them up involuntarily. Well, guess what? We're in that discipline. And actually, I've heard that a number of, of um, in a number of instances. So very good that you could bring up that discipline. And I'm, I'm certainly convinced by all the discussions we're now privy to participating and eavesdropping in on is that the uh this this kind of that we will forever be changed there the world is going to be very different on the other side of the pandemic right and we really don't know yet what that will look like so i want to then check in if you didn't have anything more to say about that well as i said we'll save the wakes and services for later if uh, you've been taking in any of the live press conferences, there's certainly a, there's a range of how they're, the, of the comportment of leaders. I want you to talk about in your coping that you're leading us through in this interview, what is your reaction, your reception to, to any of these live press conferences? Or maybe you're not catching them live, but you're getting excerpts of it later. Let's talk about local, state, and national kinds of platforms, and then we'll talk about uh, other institutions uh, afterward. Okay, well, I honestly have not watched very many, but on the topic of leadership in general, I think it's obvious that 
there's this huge difference between leaders who take authority and clearly are working for the common good, whatever their limitations, and leaders who abdicate their authority and are not doing constructive things. And it's pretty heartbreaking because the latter costs lives. Well, when we're talking about coping, that's our through line in this conversation. And I'm just wondering if there are sorts of tribal preferences for how people consume media, if maybe a particular a tribe that is not getting in their media some of the leadership examples that you're talking about where they're taking up the charge is this in is this actually creating a deficit in coping opportunities i i think that one's beyond my pay grade claudia oh but this, no but no we're going to bite on this apple please <laughs> We, no, but I mean, I'm thinking it's, it's, it's well and good that California watches Gavin Newsom show leadership in such a standout way. I mean, I, I, he Indeed. is. And Indeed. so I'm just thinking, it, wouldn't it help everybody cope better if they could seek this flavor of leadership, this flavor of comportment? I just can't speak to what people on the, I'm, I'm clearly on one side of a large divide and I really can't speak to how the other side perceives the world. I just don't get it. Well, I guess to, um, just to, to finish up this topic though, that, um, there are some data points out there and I've uh, been uh, exposed to and I know Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and the uh, former UN ambassador and she's, She's crossed this divide and she's, she makes a regular habit of, I'm not sure if it's Andrew Cuomo that she's listening to or does she listen to, to Gavin Newsom, but she makes a point of hearing every single of their press conferences because she, she absolutely, you know, uh, appreciates what's coming across. So I'm, I'm thinking that, that is, that's helping her cope. And she's definitely of a different tribe than I would say you are in. Okay, I, I think I'm hearing what you're saying. To be able to trust your leaders, to be able to trust those in authority is, is surely reassuring. And I think it, it really was heartbreaking for me to realize that I no longer trusted the CDC. That was a hard thing. Okay, so that's, that's coming to the, the institutions, the, the Center for Disease Control and the World Health Organization. So... So tell us more about your being able to cope based on their level of performance since, let's say, New Year's. So, or maybe before, Claudia, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna redirect a little bit because the way I cope and the way most people cope is probably really different. If any of your listeners knows about the Enneagram, there are nine personality types in the Enneagram, and I'm a number five. I'm the thinker. When I'm anxious, I gather data. I don't take anybody else's word for it. So guess who's been compulsively looking at those graphs? That's what I do. So I don't listen to talking heads. I look at graphs. I, I'm not typical that way. Right. Well, actually, and the, what I, I, I've consumed a great deal of radio, uh, of printed media, and some some Twitter, a lot of Twitter, actually. And that is 
actually, there, there are a number of people who talk about the way in which they deal with their anxiety is to get incredibly informed so that they're, in fact, I think that was even, will include Max Brooks, who's a, quite the, a, a phenomenal contributor in sort of global strategic planning. I don't know if you've heard him talk, but, but, the, but lots of people talk about the way they deal with their anxiety is data. Right. And, and so here's the scary thing, Claudia. There, there are so many things that we don't know. All right. those projections are just projections, you know? Correct. Um, so, so many gaps in our knowledge. And um, that, that is anxiety provoking in itself. I, I want to, in, in terms of coping, I'm really trying to remind people who have a religious tradition that our ancestors in that tradition lived in horrific times and, you know, uh, contagious diseases were endemic. They lost many of their children in, in addition to all kinds of other wars and natural disasters. And they had very little data. They couldn't even find what, what happened to their relatives across the country, right? So how did right. they cope? How did they deal? Because they did. Therefore, it's possible. Therefore, we can take hope that when our normal mechanisms for reassurance from modern life are failing us, we can still cope. We can still show up. I'm just wondering if what makes us different beasts from those earlier times is that where our technological developments have outpaced our adaptive capacity and so we're we have a, a tall order to to do a, as good a job as we need to to cope yes we we not only need the skills to cope we need to practice those skills regularly it's not like you achieve peace of mind and then you keep it you have to get it back on a regular basis it's a muscle yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. for those of you who've joined us, just joined us, the first, uh, this is the first of slightly different programming during the age of COVID on what I'm calling now Ask a Neighbor on radio KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, KUCI.org live stream. My guest is Reverend Dr. Terry LePage, who recently served as a transitional minister at Brea Congregational United Church of Christ and is talking today about being, understanding, and coping in this very new world we live in. So I want to have you talk about some new workshops that you're involved in. Your current project is the Grief, Gratitude, and Courage. Tell us about that. How do we get involved with that? Well, thank you. Um, well, let's see. I, I can, we, we'll have to figure out how to get in contact with me in the best way. What Grief, Gratitude, and Courage is about is not, it's, it's not a grief group. It's not a therapy group. It's a group for people who want to show up and face whatever needs to be faced in their community, in their life, um, and be there for other people and be fully in their emotions in their bodies, not have to numb out or stuff their feelings. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we frame grief in a way that it's safe to express 
what are you scared about? What are you grieving? We do it in a group of 12 people. We do it virtually on Zoom, of course. Of course. And um, uh, I've mastered Zoom breakout groups, so you don't have to always talk in a group of 12. But then we don't leave it with the grief. We step into gratitude. And here's an interesting thing that I've experienced in my life and that resonates with other people but is new to many people that when you have losses, when you are grieving losses, the things that remain become more dear to you. You savor them more. Like you've seen those empty shelves in the grocery store. And so that cup of coffee that you stocked up on in November because of earthquakes tastes so good because you realize you might not have had it. Oh, Terry, I want to speak to that. Personally, when I found one packet of exquisite whole wheat flour, the, uh, the regular shells were entirely bare, and I found it in a different section. I was so full of gratitude. It was, I could feel endorphins and, and oxytocin, everything kicked in. <laughs> exactly. And I think if, if we think about it, many of us have experienced those kinds of things. Well, this was not new to me from COVID. Um, as you well know, I almost lost my husband to yes. a, a vascular disease, and twice he almost died. And in those periods when I was somewhat in shock, everything, every move he made was a revelation, a miracle. Mm. And, and so I had that sense. And when I share that sense with others, everybody gets it. And so they've done their grieving, but then they go into gratitude and their hearts just lift and they get filled with energy. And it's so fun to watch. And then finally, the courage piece is, um, as you so rightly said, um, everything is changing and the world is becoming different. And who we are called to be in this world will be different. And it takes courage to change. You usually don't, you know, know how to do something when you try something new. You look stupid. You want to know how many mistakes I've made leading Zoom meetings in the last three weeks? Oh, you're not one bit special. Just join. Everybody's (laughs) in this club together. Yes. And I did it anyways because I was dying to make these groups happen. Yes. So. Everyone is having to find courage to be who they need to be in this new world that's evolving. So that, talking through those things, that's grief, gratitude, and courage. And I, I'm hoping to it goes like hotcakes. I'm hoping I teach other people how to do it, and I can't wait to share it with everybody. Well, we know, we've talked a little bit, alluded to your Protestant tradition, but I... I'm imagining that grief, gratitude, and courage, you're reaching out to people from all denominations. Who's joining you in that respect? Well, it was an interesting mix. I had actually started preparing this workshop for people dealing with climate grief. Yes. And so I had connected in with really the movers and shakers in Orange County for the um, climate activism. And they just jumped right over to a pandemic because they're used to living out of their heart. 
they're used to watching kind of slow motion train wrecks, you would say, because right. they know what's going on in the environment. And they're such big hearted people. They just got it right away. Um, the other people who have joined in are people from the uh, compassionate communication, nonviolent communication training community. Again, they, they are used to living out of their hearts and they're used to being really generous activists. So, you know, those kind of heart-centered activists, this is a great tool for them. And, and we'll see as we roll it out to other community members who it resonates with. And denominations? I mean, that's what I was interested in, too. Not yeah. Just... You know, I did not start it at my church, but many of those people um, are, are in a church. It might be Unitarian Church. Uh, it might be some other flavor of Protestant church. So I will be launching it in my church shortly. But I'm thinking of non, non-Christian, too? Or you're not? Of course. Yeah. Our, our first workshop, we had a, a practicing Jew. And he loved it. He gave a testimonial. There's nothing specifically denominational about the program. It's spiritual, but not religious. So Terry, this also begs the kind of wide-eyed query about, like you mentioned Lent now, and Passover will begin after this show broadcasts, and then Ramadan thereafter. So that must be an opportunity you're intending to mine with grief, gratitude, and courage workshops. When you know, it's funny when I'm not in the parish; those um, those ritual observances hold a lot less power for me. Um, when when I'm in charge of hosting them for everybody else, yeah, I get really into it. But when I'm not the host, I I'm not a big ritual person. Um, wow. I'm, I'm really bad with birthdays, for instance. Oh, that's so, <laughs> um, I, I, I like rituals suited to the occasion, not rituals following the ca- calendar. Okay. So would you like to speak more to the workshops, though? I mean, how do uh, people, how are they going to follow? How are you sustaining this? Is there like a membership? Are there dues? Or is this well, is a, so far I haven't... Yeah, so far it's on the house, um, thanks to my um, gainfully employed husband. Um, l- let me just give people an email address in case they would like to join one of these workshops. Okay. Uh, it's terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at opendoorcommunication.org. We'll put that in. Okay, thank you. So I want to bring up, because there's compliance. In order to make this work, this project of flattening the whole curve of the COVID cases, that the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, talks about he wants to rely on social pressure to keep physical distance. And I'm, I love it that in his press conferences, he doesn't say social distance, he says physical distance. because Social distance is a, is a problem. So, but maintaining physical distance, he wants for people to exert the social pressure when we think, when we, when we witness not complying constituents. So uh, what do you have to suggest listeners in terms of coping and all that, how to reach effectively somebody you think needs to 
back back away from each other a bit more. Be more compliant. Yeah. I guess first thing I, I want to do is to recognize how amazing it is what we have accomplished. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, who would imagine that most of the planes in the U.S. would ever be grounded? My, my environmental friends are just flabbergasted. Right. Um, who would imagine that we would stop virtually all sporting events? And, you know, it's heartbreaking to remember that there were a whole bunch of weddings that were scheduled to happen this spring that are not going to be happening as such. And this is really deeply, deeply disruptive to people's lives. And I think we need to honor that. Right. And well, and people that have to put aside, I, I would say sometimes I wouldn't call elective medical procedures. I think they're a little more required, but um, I, people that are learning to, you know, not get their dental work, not get their op, uh, outpatient procedures done. I mean, that's, and we don't know what that deferred attention is going to do for their health in the future. Right. And I, I was entertained, if, if not saddened, by watching people learn what is needed and what is not needed. Um, one of the first things that happened after the, the stay in place, I phoned up my mom who's 80, who yes. has really a pretty advanced case of COPD, lung disease. So if she gets this, she's dead, basically. And I said, well, mom, have, have you been staying home? And she said, well, I had to make three trips to the store to find eggs. No. And really? I'm like, what? And I, and I had to walk her through it step by step. Did you ask your neighbors for eggs? Could you have done without eggs until your next trip to the grocery store? And then she started to get it. And then the next time I talked to her, well, the next time I asked her about shopping, she hadn't been for nine days. Wow. So we can learn. We can learn. And, you know, everybody likes to think they're special. <laughs> so, oh, I know how to do that thing and socially distance. Well, or excuse me, physically distance. I prefer, prefer that too. And what we haven't been challenged to do in a long time, and I like that Governor Newsom is challenging us, is for the sake of your community, for the sake of people you don't even know, follow the rules. Well, and also, I mean, I know I'm putting up, up there in a, in a little, I'm a stan, I'm a stan for the governor, but that he, he uses these opportunities with each day, I think they're almost daily, maybe he's given himself a day of rest today, but that he, his optics are all models to the public. He doesn't have any reporters nearby. He has one person signing well, at least six feet away from him. He's using everything. He doesn't have a mask on yet because we wouldn't be able to hear him, but, um, but he he's using it and it's it's sort of a it's uncanny this opportunity lost with other kinds of leaders that aren't using those optics more effectively to help us cope help like you said your mom learned but we we a lot of people haven't learned because they have they've seen this covid task force in the white house and they're all hunched clumped up together and they're md some of them yeah yeah. Yeah. Modeling is hugely um, important. And I'm, I'm very glad that we all have permission to wear masks because I personally, as, as I evaluate the limited data, I see that as important. And um, 
I, I heard, I read something tragic that um, uh, all my Asian friends, I mean, friends in Asia said, wear masks. Right. And I ignored them. And then I got convinced and I was on the leading edge. Um, the first case in New Jersey, I think it might have been, there was an article in the New York Times, was uh, an American man of Asian descent who had been wearing a mask until he got scared that he would be harassed yes. um, because of racial profiling, basically. And, and then he got sick and almost died. Yeah. So we're all learning, you know, and, and we're doing a fabulous job. And unfortunately, there's, there's very little wiggle room here. No, there's none. There's, we have, and that's, that's not having near enough information. We have no idea how little wiggle room we have. We have to, uh, we don't even know how to err on the side of over over protection yeah we don't know so and and do you think people understand exponential growth well i was going to ask you that and i'm glad you bring that up that lots of health care professionals political analysts are really puzzling about how even their peers some of them hadn't quite grasped what exponential math means in terms of changing everything on the dime in our behavior yeah and and to be honest i don't get it at a gut level either um but i know people who do and i heard this one illustration can i share it with people please do yeah it's from rachel martin who has a youtube presentation on covid19 she is a uci faculty member in the chemistry department and her last lecture before uci went virtual was was a very good one on COVID-19. And here's how she explained exponential okay. growth. Imagine that you have a pond and you put one lily pad in it. And you notice that 30 days later, the pond is completely covered over with lily pads. On what day was the pond half covered over with lily pads? All right, and I, I heard that answer when we mentioned this in advance of this interview, but go ahead, give it to the listeners. Yeah. Day 29. That's exponential growth. Yeah. And that's what's happening in New York. And it's, um, I, I'm, I'm charting the numbers every day. I have my own exponential chart for well, California and Orange County. Using that analogy that the lily pads are choking the lake in terms of New York hospitals. Right. In right. the age of COVID. Well, for those of you, if you've just joined us, my guest is Reverend Dr. Terry LePage, who recently served as transitional minister at Brea Congregational United Church of Christ. And we're calling in this time, in this stretch, the Ask Leaders Become Ask a Neighbor here on Radio K UCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live. 24-7. We're doing it, folks, at KUCI.org. Well, let's talk about, in terms of our learning, learning to do what's important, finding out what's important, and our ingenuity. Talk about the resourceful ways people are carrying out rituals with respect to end of life, 
we, I mean, people have not been able to be with loved ones at the loved one's death in hospitalizations. People are not able to be at wakes. The wakes are actually being adapted and other services. Talk about what you're exposed to so far and how this helps us understand how others are successfully coping or what we've got ahead of us to, to learn better. Well, we're all learning and we're on a steep learning curve. Um, people are doing all kinds of fa family gatherings on Zoom and memorials are one of those. And unfortunately, memorials are something that we may be doing more of pretty soon. I, I just want to make a plea to people to, to have a recognition of life events, whether they be births or deaths or whatever. But in particular, deaths, our, our culture is, um, is pretty death phobic and it, pretty. it is, <laughs> yeah, it's ugly. Um, it's like it's not going to happen. That's how, that's yeah. our culture. It's in denial. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, yeah, death denying, that's a good way of putting it. But I think there are serious consequences to not marking and observing a death. I think many of us can remember going to memorials and their beautiful opportunities to connect across generations, across geography. And, and everybody says, gosh, why didn't we do this before the person died? Um, they're they're so important for um, for family ties, for continuity, for um, for honoring life. If you just let somebody slip away without marking it, it it really does dishonor to life, to everybody's life, and to that person's life. So um, we're I'm I'm on clergy uh, chat groups, and we're making it up as we go along, but you know, anything is better than nothing. And, you know, yes, have a proper memorial when, when we all get out of our cages. But in the meantime, have a funky memorial. Do the best you can. It's, it's really important. I'm, re I'm recalling some of the memorial services I've attended, and it was like an opportunity for the composite of the, the one who's departed, the one who died, and that other people who weren't in those different kinds of life events of that person. So that, that composite comes through and maybe maybe in uh, that multidimensional aspect of that person can come through as we continue to develop that Zoom platform for memorial services. Right, right. Yeah, so the, the family meets the Rotary Club, meets the choir, yeah, there are some really beautiful interactions. You find facets of a person that you never knew. Yeah, essential, essential. That would be a that is the that would be a tragedy if those kinds of connections would never take place. Well, I I want to give you a chance to. Uh, we're talking about in specific places where there's creativity, ingenuity. Is there any other kind of area we haven't already talked about? You want to talk about people's ingenuity and creativity? Well, I, I want to invite people to experiment and not be afraid of getting it wrong the first time. Mm. Um, I, I think we have a chance to remake a lot of things. And, um, and we may discover we like them better the new way. We just don't know yet. Uh, I also want to remind people that um, 
there are a lot of people who are likely to become destitute in the very near future. And to challenge anyone who is not taking a vacation because of this pandemic, to, to take the money that they would have spent for that vacation if they are in fact financially secure and give it to local food shelves or some other cause directly serving people who are um, going to be in danger of being homeless or hungry because they have lost their jobs because of the pandemic. We can also, we know small businesses that we have supported in some ways and maybe direct it to that business as well. Or you're, you're talking about the, cause that's also, uh, there's a household that that small business supports. So it's, are, are you thinking of, of those terms in terms of that too? Well, absolutely. I'm, I'm a little at, at a loss myself because my son has me um, buttoned down at home because I'm old and at risk, he says. So it's, it's funny because so many people in our, in our, uh, in my activist communities and my church communities, uh, which greatly overlap, yes. are retirement age and belong beyond. And these are wonderful, energetic, capable people. And the first thing they say when I talk to them is, it took me a while to realize I was high risk. Right. Yeah, there's knowledge. We talked about that, that we're, we are learning what is the score, and we're learning what is the adaptation necessary to deal yeah, with that. So to answer your question, Claudia, yes. I haven't figured out how to do that because my son doesn't allow me to buy takeout. So you can't even let you drive up, open your trunk, and then let them put something in your trunk? Nope. I get to leave the house once a week, uh, aside from walks. Okay. So, well, you we're talking about who gets support if there is a deferred vacation, and that means there's a budget to share with necessary uh, recipients. So maybe in a broader vulnerable group, could you talk about refugees that need support? Ways that I know you've been involved to some extent here within the last several years, couple of years. Could you talk about what we need to think about? There are undocumented people here. There are refugees that are on the both sides of the border. How are we to send lifelines to them in, the, in their utter vulnerability. I mean, vulnerability sounds too sanitary for what they're dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one obvious thing we can do is, okay, on a personal level, I think that the entire ICE and Border Patrol should be out taking everybody's temperature, regulating the public at airports and whatnot, and, uh, but that's not going to happen. I'm trying don't have the information in front of me, but the ICE director in Southern California, there's uh, an action to phone his office and tell him to release detainees because detainees and prisoners in general are um, in a horrific uh, germ breeding ground, um, super dangerous. They're also completely isolated. Um, so we can contact ice and ask that they be released it's it's really pretty horrifying any suffering that we are doing in our little suburban enclave 
uh, is so negligible compared to what they're going through. It's, it's really heartbreaking. So that's I wish what, I had a better answer of what we could do. So that's a work in progress than our trying to find a means for extending resources, support to that it, to that community, that, that whole community. I mean, because I've uh, radios covered some some amazing investigative work where the detainees don't even know. That's like a, they're in a news kind of a, a you know gap. There's they don't know, and uh, there there's no protocols in place. It's a pernicious non-activation. That's it's in its. In a way, it's policy, not acting at all. That's a policy being here. So, um, right, uh, right. So that's not helping anybody cope. Think about that, but it does definitely make us um, consider. You know, be ready. Be ready to get information so that we can cope from sending those lifelines. And that's that's another thing I I wanted to say. It, it not as it's a different kind of vulnerable population. There's some. There are local connections that when I began calling that list that I, I was a remarkable kind of reception that, and it's again, it, that it helped me cope that they, they all were kind of delighted. They were expecting maybe a, a check-in with them. And I mean, there was, there was magic there, Terry. I, I'm sorry. I don't know which people you're referring to. My neighbors. Uh, we have amazing neighbors. Yes. So, I mean, no, that's where longevity gets us. We know a lot about some, certain people after you live in one place long enough. So that it's just something I wanted to give a little bit of lip service to. Well, do you, um, I don't know if you have anything to add here, Terry. Um, do you, do you want to take us out with some kind of a blessing or is there some, are there any other observations that you wanted to, share in this moment well can i read a little bit uh from my grief gratitude and courage workshop please how do. much time do we have do you have any idea we are we have at least uh we we have maybe three to four more minutes okay this this is a pitch for grief gratitude and courage but that is after all not something i'm trying to sell it's a service i'm trying to offer here yes. you go thank you in these times we're living in, is there anyone not experiencing grief? Not everyone recognizes grief straight away. They might just feel rageful all the time. They might feel exhausted. They might be low and leaking tears and been told it's situational depression. In ancient times, we used to gather to process grief as communities in circles. The memory of this experience lives in our bones. When grief is expressed in community, it meets other people's grief and comes out of isolation. Weeping together, sharing stories and speaking our losses is essential to the human spirit. What the world needs now are people willing to listen to people speak and weep, not to fix them, not to offer advice, not to try to cheer them up, not to bypass reality in favor of an illusion, but to listen and be heard. So that's kind of one of the intros that we do. And then this is a final blessing. When you come to the edge of all that you know, may you believe one of two things. There will be earth to stand on, 
or you will be given wings to fly. Wow. Thank you so much for that, Terry. I'm so glad you could bring that into what we're talking about today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Claudia. Well, Terry, this has been a really good first step to take in charting new and necessary territory. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. My guest was Reverend Dr. Terry LePage, who recently served as a transitional minister at Brea Congregational United Church of Christ. This is the first of slightly different programming during the age of COVID on what I'm calling Ask a Neighbor. Thank you for listening. Well, that's my wrap. Thanks to any one of your suggestions. Please pitch me your terrific ideas to my email, C-S-H-A-M-B-A-U-G-H at KUCI.org. I also want to let you know, starting tomorrow on April 8th, training at KUCI will begin 7 p.m. and will be the usual eight weeks. This course will be offered twice a week, Wednesdays 7 to 8.30 p.m. and Fridays 10 to 11.30 a.m. If you want any more information, go to training at KUCI.org. This week, I'd like to thank some folks who helped me get remote production up and running. Couldn't do it without them. Nathan Callahan, Teresa McQueen, Alice Apkarian, Hobart Taylor, and Barbara DeMarco Barrett. Next on these airwaves, DJ Ryan Lee with his show, Vox Detox. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. Stay well, safe, and healthy. Hands. Keep washing them.